0: Welcome to the archives of Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Fast food is what many people eat in America and increasingly in other countries. It's advertised to be fun, tasty, and easily available. Americans spend more money annually on fast food than is spent on higher education. Eric Schlosser, our guest in this archive edition of Radio Curious, is the author of Fast Food Nation, The Dark Side of the All-American Meal. Schlosser writes that it is not only what is served for human consumption that is the problem, but the art of mass marketing to children through organized promotions and ads for the products in school buses, hallways, and even bathroom stalls that has serious side effects on society. Working conditions for employees at meatpacking plants and the resulting contamination of the product resulted in the July 19, 2002 recall of 19 million pounds of beef. In addition to the acute health hazards of contamination, A fast food meal often contains more fat in one meal than the average person needs in a day. I spoke with Eric Schlosser, author of Fast Food Nation, in mid-summer 2002. We began with his description of the problem of excess fat in fast food.
1: Um, it's very calorie dense, very high in starch and sugar. Uh, it's very low in micronutrients. And the portion sizes have gotten bigger and bigger. And so if you eat uh, one of these supersized meals, I mean, you can get the number of calories in one meal that you're supposed to have for an entire day. And especially the sodas that they're increasing uh, in size are a huge, huge uh, calorie load. And you can see, as the fast food chains expand overseas, that uh, people are expanding overseas, too. And countries like Japan and China, which have never had obesity problems, are now uh, starting to have them as they embrace a Western fast food diet.
0: So this is driven by the economic benefit of the owners of the fast food chain?
1: Well, they've driven commodity prices down so low that they can offer a larger portion size and still do it very profitably, especially with a soda. You have to keep in mind that soda is the most profitable thing that they sell. So by offering a super-size of soda and uh, just adding a couple pennies or a few pennies more of syrup, um, they can charge you a quarter more or ten cents more, and it's, it's pure profit for them. So what's in their best interest uh, purely economically uh, may not be in your best interest as a consumer. And they have promoted a diet for America, especially for America's children, that I think is a very unhealthy diet.
0: What's the background on this promotion?
1: Well, the, the, the why is very simple. I think that these companies uh, are not trying to make Americans fat. They're not trying to poison us. But they're also not looking at the long-term implications of eating this food. They are looking at very short-term, quarterly profits and um, whatever will sell in large volume uh, at a high profit they will sell i think it began innocently enough you know with small hamburger and hot dog stands in southern california in the nineteen fifties but what these companies were doing on a very small scale uh... didn't have a big impact on our diet or on our culture but now that there are thirty thousand mcdonald's worldwide they have a huge impact and i think these companies have been a little slow at taking responsibility Uh, for what they're selling and how they're
0: selling it. Can you tell us about the design factors, uh, the factors of designing the flavors of the food and uh, how it's researched, um, how the tastes are created?
1: Well, one of the things I was really surprised to learn uh, is that it may seem pretty obvious, but this is all frozen food for the most part that's being reheated in these fast food kitchens. And um, when you freeze food, or you freeze-dry it, or you powder it, as most fast food is, it destroys a great deal of the flavor. So a new industry has arisen uh, to supply the tastes for fast food. It's a flavor industry. It's mainly located uh, in New Jersey, off the New Jersey Turnpike. And in the book, I visit one of these flavor factories. And you have to look at fast food as an industrial commodity, really. It's made in big factories. And the flavor now is just uh, one component you know, that often comes from a, from a different uh, factory. And they're very complex chemical additives that when you chew them or when you suck them, when you drink the liquid, they release an aroma. And that aroma is uncannily like the food that you're eating. Um, it's not necessarily a dangerous thing. It's just strange. It's very strange.
0: Um, maybe you could read for us a portion of your book where you describe um, what's in a strawberry flavor, an artificial strawberry flavor.
1: Yeah, and and it's fascinating, but be, because the the law does not require the flavor companies to reveal the ingredients of their flavor, um, you'll look at a label and you'll 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 see something that says natural flavor or artificial flavor. There's not a huge difference between the two, and those flavor ingredients may have more ingredients than the food itself. And if they had to publish the flavor ingredients on the label, they would need a very big label. So as a public service in the book, I put a list of what you might find in in an artificial strawberry flavor. So I'll, I'll read you that paragraph, and it's not easy to read. A typical artificial strawberry flavor, like the kind found in a Burger King strawberry milkshake, Contains the following ingredients: amyl acetate, amyl butyrate, amyl valerate, anethol, anisyl formate, benzyl acetate, benzyl butyrate, butyric acid, cinnamyl isobutyrate, cinnamyl valerate, cognac essential oil, diacetyl, dipropyl ketone, ethyl acetate, ethyl amyl ketone, ethyl butyrate, ethyl cinnamate, ethyl heptanoate, ethyl heptylate, ethyl lactate. Ethyl methyl phenyl glycidate, ethyl nitrate, ethyl propionate, ethyl valerate, heliotropin, hydroxyphenyl 2 butanone 10% solution in alcohol, delta ionone, isobutyl anthranilate, isobutyl butyrate, lemon essential oil, maltol, 4 methyl acetophenone, methyl anthranilate, methyl benzoate, methyl cinnamate, methyl carbonate, methyl naphthyl ketone methyl salicylate, mint essential oil, neroli essential oil, nerolin, nerolisylbutyrate, orris butter, phenethyl alcohol, rose, rum ether, y-endactylitone, vanillin, and solvent.
0: And all that equals a strawberry flavor?
1: Bon appetit. <laughs> that is an artificial strawberry flavor, and, you know, the way they used to do this in a milkshake is they take some vanilla ice cream and add strawberries and put them in a blender. Mm -hmm. And this is, you know, I I include the paragraph in the book just to show you that this fast food looks like the kind of food that we've been eating, but it's a very different thing. Again, it's an industrial commodity. Uh, I can't, you know, I I can barely say many of those ingredients, let alone tell you what they are.
0: I was going to ask, you know, what is that stuff?
1: You know, they're just very, you know, flavors are complex things, and they they contain, a huge number of, uh, of chemicals that create this aroma and the flavor companies started out as perfume companies so they had vast experience in creating smells now a strawberry actually will have more uh, chemical uh, chemicals in it than that but what they do is to make an artificial strawberry flavor they pick some of the key aroma producing chemicals and they make them big steel vats and it just takes a tiny, tiny drop of these chemical flavor additives to give you uh, that aroma in your food, um, these guys are very expert at doing that, but you could add that you could add that same strawberry strawberry flavor that I just read the list of ingredients to to my book and uh, chew the pages and it would taste like a strawberry milkshake might not go down that easily though <laughs>
0: um Eric. You have visited the meat packing houses where uh, meat is uh, processed from a live animal into what is eventually a hamburger patty. Could you tell us about what you saw on your visits?
1: Um, I saw a lot of disturbing things, and the most disturbing thing I saw was how the workers were being treated uh, in these meat packing plants. Without our realizing it, the meatpacking system of the United States has really been transformed in the last 25 or 30 years. It used to be that we had hundreds of small meatpacking plants and hundreds of companies uh, producing beef. And in the last 25 to 30 years, the industry has basically been taken over by four companies who are the big suppliers uh, to the fast food chains. Fast food chains want this uniform Ground beef that tastes everywhere exactly the same. So a lot of smaller companies have gone out of business, and these big meat packing companies have built big mega slaughterhouses, unlike any other in the world. And they've broken unions, they've sped up production, they've cut wages, and they've made meat packing a very difficult, dangerous, low-paid job. So, you know, spending time with meat packing workers, uh, these low-wage, uh, recent immigrants, mainly from Mexico who are getting hurt routinely, that's, that's the memory um, that, I, that stays with me of my visits. Uh, slaughtering cattle and turning them into hamburgers is always going to be a bloody, unpleasant business, but it, it doesn't have to be as dangerous as it is uh, today.
0: I'd like you to tell us about what those dangers are, but first I want to say, this week on Radio Curious, we're talking with Eric Schlosser, the author of Fast Food Nation, The Dark Side of the All-American Meal. This is Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Eric, what are some of the dangers to the workers who work in the slaughterhouses?
1: Well, when you walk into one of these buildings, uh, it's incredible. The the production line is moving so quickly. Uh, At some of these plants, there are 400 cattle an hour uh, being uh, killed and then dismembered. In, In Europe, you will not find a slaughterhouse where more than 70 uh, or a hundred cattle per hour being slaughtered, so the pace is very fast. You have hundreds of workers uh, working very close to one another with sharp knives, and the most common injury uh, is a laceration. Workers are stabbing themselves or stabbing someone nearby, and there are big carcasses on hooks moving by quickly. Uh, people get knocked over uh, by uh, by swinging carcasses or they slip on the bloody floor. Um, Some of the worst injuries are cumulative trauma injuries, and and I don't mean carpal tunnel from being at a keyboard too long. I mean serious neck and shoulder and elbow uh, injuries from doing the same task again and again and again without adequate uh, rest periods. Uh, The meatpacking industry is the most dangerous industry in America, measured by its injury rate and its rate of serious injury and cumulative trauma injury. And yet uh, most people don't know about this because this is happening to poor uh, Mexican immigrants in rural communities very far away from the national media.
0: You make mention that if the workers in the meat packing industry were not uh, poor, perhaps immigrants, more attention would be paid. What's your reference there?
1: I have no doubt that if they were blonde-haired and blue-eyed, our society would not uh, tolerate it interesting. uh, Grapes of Wrath was the one book that really brought attention to the plight of migrant farm workers in America, and it was about the Okies in California who were forced to do this terrible work. Uh, It's a great book, but what I think is significant is that there were only 10 years, really, in in California history in which blonde-haired, blue-eyed people did this work uh, for 100 years. Uh, Mexican migrant workers have done the work, and yet we remember that one period when it was anglos doing it and i think if these were anglos in these meatpacking plants uh we wouldn't put up with it and it speaks to some of the racism in our society but i i also think people are just ignorant of what's going on i, I certainly was ignorant and i i consider myself fairly well read and informed and i had no idea that these changes had happened in our meatpacking system
0: how about the condition of the final product um aside from the working conditions of the people who prepare the final product. Can you tell us about that? It's
1: a very different product. Um, If you got a quarter-pound hamburger patty from 1962 and you got one from today, and you put them on a table, they would look very, very similar. You might not be able to distinguish one from the other, but they're extremely different things. Uh, That hamburger from 1962, uh, that fast-food hamburger was uh, fresh in the back of the restaurant it probably came from a small butcher shop or a small processing plant and as a result uh, it probably had meat in it from one cow or from one steer uh... made from scraps leftover. Um when you get a when you get a quarter pound fast food hamburger patty today it didn't come from a local butcher shop or a, a small regional packing house it came most likely from an enormous processing plant that can put out up to uh, almost a million pounds of ground beef a day. And it does this by grinding the meat from many, many, many cattle together. So that one modern fast food patty from today will have pieces of hundreds, if not thousands, of different cattle in it. And this is of significance to you uh, because that greatly increases the odds of a bad pathogen um, being in the burger. Uh, it's not just aesthetically unpleasant, but it also is significant in the same way that having multiple sex partners increases the odds that you'll encounter a bad sexually transmitted disease. Having a thousand cattle in your one hamburger uh, increases the odds that you'll, you'll encounter an animal that had uh, a bad bug.
0: And what are some of those bad bugs? What do they do?
1: Well, the, the worst of them spread by ground beef is uh, this mutant E. coli, E. coli 015787 and it really uh, is a terrible, terrible infection, especially for children and the elderly and people who are immunosuppressed and it can be lethal and even for people who are not killed by it can have lifelong uh, disabilities. Much more run-of-the-mill bugs would be uh, salmonella, uh, for example. The CDC just had a report uh, a week ago about a new form of Salmonella that's antibiotic resistant, that they think is being spread by ground beef. It most likely won't kill you, but it could make you very, very sick for days, and and certainly uh, could hospitalize you. So there are bad bacteria out there, and and I recommend if you're going to eat ground beef, handle it very carefully and cook it very well.
0: You mean cook it till it's well done?
1: Well, if, if a child is if a child is going to eat it, it should be cooked. Really well done. Um, but I, you know I don't eat ground beef anymore. I, it's not that I'm a, afraid of getting sick. I'm, I'm just very angry at what is in commercial ground beef at the moment. and, and the odds are that any one individual is not going to get sick from eating a hamburger, but I, I can tell you people are getting sick every day. So I would say if you bring it into your house, you bring ground beef into your house, handle it very carefully, clean every surface, you know scrupulously. And if it's going to be eaten by a child, cook it all the way through. Cook it very, very well.
0: The July twentieth, two 2002 edition of the New York Times, on page A9, reports that, quote, In the last year alone, the Department of Agriculture has briefly halted work in two ConAgra plants because of health violations and has threatened to do so at least a half a dozen other times, unless the company pays more attention to its own food safety plans. And a Colorado plant where a ConAgra subsidiary, the ConAgra Beef Company, processed the 19 million pounds of beef that was recalled on July 19, 2002, had been cited almost ten times in the last three years for violating safety codes intended to protect workers in dangerous settings. The New York Times makes this assertion based on records of the Occupational Safety and Health Administration. Carolyn Smith-DeWall, Food Safety Director at the Center for Science and the Public Interest, said, This outbreak shows a failure of the United States Department of Agriculture to recognize the problem until it's too late. She said the whole point of meat safety regulation is to prevent these problems before they turn into massive recalls. A draft report by the General Accounting Office, Congress's investigative arm, has found that inspections by the Agricultural Department are deeply flawed, both in design and in execution. Months often pass after plants fail contamination tests before the department steps in to investigate the problem, the report found. Further, it said, penalties are often too light to force compliance. The consequences, some public health advocates argue, show clearly in the department's own statistics. Contamination rates for salmonella and E. coli both increase from 2000 to 2001. Eric Schlosser, author of Fast Food Nation, The Dark Side of the All-American Meal, Let's go back to something we were talking about before, and that's the problems of fast food. In relationship to what Congress did a number of years ago, prohibiting the advertising of cigarettes, what should Congress do to regulate the fast food industry, if anything?
1: Well, if I had a legislative wish list, uh, firstly, I'd have them uh, regulate the meatpacking industry. and be very tough on them in terms of the pathogens that, that are in their meat, and in terms of the injury rates in their plants. Uh, in terms of the fast food industry, I don't think the U.S. taxpayer should be financing the expansion of the fast food industry th- through Small Business Administration loans, as we are right now. And I don't think they should be getting federally uh, subsidized uh, you know, tax dollars for training their workers when they're really not training their workers. So those are things that I'd cut back on. In terms of children, I would put very tough restrictions on what these companies can advertise to children. Um, I'm a big believer in consumer freedom and adults should be able to smoke or drink or have triple cheeseburgers and fries but I think the kind of marketing these fast food chains are doing to children uh, is not proper and has huge health consequences. So I would really put restrictions on advertising. We don't let companies advertise alcohol or cigarettes or even guns to children. And I don't think uh, fast food uh, should be advertised to children unless they make it a much healthier food.
0: I don't think you stand alone in your advocacy of that. Uh, Why do you feel there's a resistance uh, to those kinds of limitations?
1: Well, it's pretty simple. Uh, The National Restaurant Association is one of the most powerful lobbying groups uh, in Washington. Uh, you have to keep in mind that the the fast food industry has annual revenues of about 110 billion dollars a year, and the uh, consumer groups and public health groups who are seeking these kind of changes um, have nothing, nothing near that to get their voice heard. So the power of this industry uh, in Washington and of the meatpacking industry cannot be underestimated. But I'm actually optimistic because uh, American consumers outnumber these companies and these company exec- executives hugely and vastly. And I think once people realize how these, these industries are operating, um, they'll want changes to happen.
0: Eric uh, Schlosser, author of uh, Fast Food Nation, The Dark Side of the All-American Meal, how do you compare your book uh, to The Jungle by Upton Sinclair?
1: great novel it really was and 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 I wouldn't I wouldn't dare to compare my work to Upton Sinclair cuz he was one of America's greatest writers the, the, the similarity is that I have a few chapters on meatpacking uh and his his book really focused on meatpacking and and what was so depressing was to read passages of the jungle that could have been written today now things are better today than they were uh at the turn of the century when Upton Sinclair was writing. But his passages describing the tactics of the meatpacking companies and their attitude towards their workers and their efforts to get rid of injured workers um, could have been written today. So, you know, to the degree that the books are similar, it's because I, I have a few chapters on, a, on that subject matter.
0: You mentioned that um, by looking at fast food, you're trying to explain how communities throughout the United States have lost a lot of their individuality over the past 20 years and uh, start to look almost identical. What do you see as the problem uh, coming from communities looking the same?
1: life just becomes much less interesting when everywhere looks the same. And when small businessmen and women and when you know, local businesses are driven out of business by these gigantic multinationals, um, there's not, in my mind, there isn't really a problem when every town has a McDonald's. Uh, but when every town has six or eight or ten, or when the local hamburger place and the local coffee place is driven out of business by the big chain, that is a problem, and it it's a sign of conformity and uniformity. And I think that's a period that we've been in, and, and maybe we're starting to leave now. So my book is about fast food, and it's very specific in its criticism of this industry, but it's also about America and about many of the changes in this country over the last 25 years. And, you know, we we survived somehow as a country for more than 200 years without fast food uh, running our food system, and I think uh, we can look forward to a day when these companies are are not running it the way that they are now. I think this system has peaked and is in decline.
0: Eric, do you have plans for an additional book on perhaps another topic?
1: Yes, um, I'm I'm just getting to work now on a on a book on prisons uh, in America that I'm uh, that I'm reporting, and uh, I have a book coming out. Uh, next year uh, on marijuana in America and a few and, and migrant farm workers, which are some big investigative pieces I did uh, a few years ago.
0: Well, Eric Schlosser, author of Fast Food Nation, I want to thank you very much for joining us on Radio Curious. And before we close, I'd like to ask you to tell us about an interesting book that you've read lately.
1: There's a book uh, about prisons in America called New Jack by a journalist, Ted Conover, came out a few years ago. Beautiful book, brilliant book. And, uh, you know, I'm visiting prisons for my book. I need to go and see things for myself, and that's part of what I do. But, um, but you know, taking a job and living the life of a correctional officer is just incredibly admirable, and I think he did a, he did a wonderful job of, of coming to terms with that experience.
0: Eric Schlosser, thank you very much for joining us on Radio Curious. Thank you. Eric Schlosser is the author of Fast Food Nation, The Dark Side of the All American Meal. The book he recommends is New Jack, Guarding Sing Sing by Ted Conover. I invite you to listen to our two part series with Ted Conover about New Jack, recorded in 2001. Go to the search box on our homepage at RadioCurious.org and type in CONOVER, C-O-N-O-V-E-R. It'll bring you to the link. This program was recorded mid-summer 2002. Radio Curious has over 600 archive editions on our website. They're free for anyone to enjoy, download, and broadcast as you wish. We appreciate your cards, ideas, and letters about our programming and look forward to hearing from you. The email is curious at radiocurious.org. The snail mail is 280 North Oak Street, Ukiah, that's U-K-I-A-H, California, 95482. And the phone is 707-462-6541. Angie Boyle's Ask Him is our assistant producer. I'm host and producer, Barry Vogel. Thank you for listening.